Hi everyone, and welcome back to Murder in the North. I'm Kelby. And I'm Zach. And this week, Zach is going to be presenting his case. So our case sources this week is a podcast by David Riggin called Somebody Knows Something. This episode is Season 5, Episode 1, and it's called The Raven. The second source is Canadian Crimepedia, News Interactives, and CBC.ca. So our case takes place in Manitoba in 1986. This is the story of Carrie Ann Brown. So Carrie Ann Brown was born on August 19, 1971 to Jim and Ann Brown. Jim worked in the mines and her mother Ann worked in a hospital, but I wasn't able to find what she did. Actually, during this time, Ann wasn't working as she had actually recently gone blind from a genetic disorder. Carrie Ann grew up a pretty normal life, growing up playing sports with her brothers. Carrie was known to also help protect people. Her brother tells a story in the podcast when Carrie actually stood up for a friend against a bully and that bully would actually later back down from them. One night on October 16th, 1986, when Carrie was just 15 years old, her and her friends were going to a party at a boy named Doug Crocus's house. They were there for a short period of time before Carrie's ex-boyfriend showed up, and then things just kind of felt awkward, so her and her friend Nicole decided to leave. Nicole and Carrie Ann made it outside, and this is when Nicole realized that she happened to forget her purse inside. So she headed back inside to get her purse while Doug was outside talking to Carrie Ann. After a little bit of time, Carrie Ann asked Doug to go back in to get her. And after some time, when Nicole came out, Carrie was already gone. She was gone. So they kind of said that there was tracks of Carrie Ann on the on the grass kind of walking towards the street and then there was no tracks as if she got into a car interesting so she went inside to get her purse came out and she was she just vanished she was gone she was just gone did she like think that maybe she just left without her or did she kind of suspect something bad might have happened so i wasn't really seeing anything anywhere of what they thought kind of happened so the next day jim her dad went was at work when he received a call from his wife talking about dinner and mentioned that she hadn't seen carrie jim wasn't worried as if he thought she was with a friend but around 4 30 when jim got home carrie was still nowhere to be found okay yeah that's a little fishy <laughs> yeah this is kind of when i would start to be concerned too yeah panicking a little bit like yeah especially if this is unlike her and especially Jim would kind of even mention that in the podcast, Carrie always had a clean pair of clothes on. So she wouldn't normally like stay in the same clothes from the day before. Right. And you said this was the next day after the party? This was the next day. At 4.30 when they started to kind of get like... This was like 4.30 p.m. And like, yeah, they didn't know where she was. Okay. I'm wondering why they might have waited so long. Yeah, I'm not sure. So this time they actually called the taxi company to hopefully get some information to see if somebody may have dropped her off somewhere, but they actually had no information. That's smart of them to do that. Yeah. So Jim actually decided to get into the car and start driving around himself, but didn't have any luck. Um, During this time, they had actually called the police so they could hopefully have a search team put together, uh, but the police unfortunately didn't do anything because it was within 48 hours and normally kids just show up oh okay yeah that's mm. i thought after 24 hours you could file a missing person report 
in the in the podcast they mentioned it was 48 that's so interesting that they're like oh no it's been 48 they normally show up sorry kids kids will be kids like yep i feel like that's something that happens in a lot of cases unfortunately like police officials just like may not take it not like as seriously but they're just like teenagers they're just off yeah it's like it's not as serious yeah but which is kind of unfortunate especially yeah. in cases like this when those hours could be like, those crucial. are critical hours exactly yeah so by the time jim got home they actually had a group of friends that were there to console the browns because they've kind of been informed of what's been kind of going on with carrie that they haven't been able to find her and there's been no information of where she is right. So the next day, October 18th, 1986, Jim received a call from the police. And before he picked up the phone, he already knew what it was. I wasn't going to say it. The police were calling to let him know that they had found a body and they need Jim to identify it. No. So Jim had to drive to the hospital with Anne and Trevor so they could go and identify Carrie's body. That's awful. Was it her? It was her. So the cause of death was blunt force trauma. And Trevor actually mentions, and I'm going to give a trigger warning here for anybody that may kind of be disturbed with some of this information. Carrie was actually beaten with branches and they had, she had multiple fractures from her skull, jaw, neck, and chest. That's like, that's brutal. Yep. Wow. Like that's... That's like overkill. It is, yeah. So Carrie Ann's body was found on October 18th, 1986 by two horseback riders that were riding on a trail just near a graveyard. Oh, jeez. And then that's when it was called in to the police. Her poor family. Yeah. So going back to October 16th, an RCMP officer that works the phones received a call. Her name is Marnie Schaefer. She received a call around 2 a.m. and it was a man on the phone to inform Marnie that he had actually just killed somebody. What? Yeah. He just called and said that he just killed somebody. While the man was on the phone, he never really gave more information. Uh, no name, no, not the gender or anything. Were it, like, was that person using like a voice modulator or something? He wasn't really using a voice modulator, um, but Marnie kind of mentions in the in one of the articles that it was just hard to kind of make out a voice. The, you could hear a voice, but you couldn't really make it out, if you know what I mean. It was almost if he just had bad reception. Okay. Yeah. And while he was on the phone, he actually asked for a specific officer that was actually stationed in Norway House Cree Nation Detachment. And Marnie later, when she found out about the disappearance of Carrie, she actually made a copy of everything and took it to this specific officer and he wasn't even able to recognize the voice. I'm just surprised that this person called admitting that they murdered someone. Yeah, and it, especially if you like 
somebody's calling to admit that they just murdered somebody, you would think they would, you know, give more detail. Or maybe, I guess, like, in this case, it was, like, a game for him, maybe? It could have been, yeah. And the crazy thing is, so this was actually two hours after the disappearance of Carrie that the phone call was made. Okay. And what from what the RCMP in Manitoba know, there were no other actual people that were reported missing that day. Okay. So basically that person that called likely was the one that abducted Carrie. There's a good chance of it without saying a firm yes. So after Marnie took the recording to the one officer, she actually later took it into the investigators of the case who would actually let her know that they actually already have a person of interest. Did they link that person to the one that called? No. They didn't. So the person that called, they would later say, sounds more indigenous than anybody else involved in the case. And the person that they actually were, that they had as the main suspect was 22-year-old Patrick Sumner. And the first, the only reason they had him as a person of interest was they actually received a tip saying that there was only two vehicles that were seen driving out from where Carrie was found that night. One of these cars was a van, and the other one was a 70s muscle car that actually fit the description of Patrick's car. Okay. So investigators actually got a warrant so they could search his car. Mm-hmm. And when they were searching it, they actually saw a red stain on the like on the carpet of the car and they found a hair that was consistent with Carrie's. Oh jeez. Okay. So guys looking a little guilty right now. At this point, yes. And then so with this information, they were able to get a warrant to search his house. And with that, they actually found an oversized t-shirt that did look a little too big for Carrie Ann. But it had blood on the back. So they took that and with the inf- with all of this, with the blood on the back of the shirt that they actually got tested, they were able to show that it was Carrie Ann's blood type. Oh, it was her blood type, but not necessarily her blood. We'll get there. <laughs> so with all this information, Patrick Sumners was charged with the murder of Carrie Ann Brown. And four months later, after this went to trial, the judge had dropped the charges due to lack of evidence. Because the only evidence they had was the shirt, the stain in the car, and that like piece of hair that was consistent, but not necessarily Carrie's Correct. Hair. So oh, that gosh. shirt, when he was investigated about it, he had said it's actually his dad's shirt. And the blood on the shirt was just from him popping pimples. Wait, his his dad's shirt that had blood on it was from his dad popping pimples. Correct. That were on his oh, back. Oh, okay. That's a little odd. And the worst part is he was telling the truth. The blood actually matched his dad's DNA. Okay. So now I guess what I'm thinking is that person that called and spoke to Marnie like the one that said that they killed someone now like my i don't know sorry (laughs) so and to kind of top it off 
that red stain that they had found that represented blood for them, they actually had got it tested and it wasn't blood. It was actually a tomato-based juice oh that he had spilt on his carpet. And I actually wasn't able to find more information about the hair. Okay, so I guess it kind of makes sense why the judge dropped the charges. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And even kind of at this point, the the judge has dropped all the charges, but he actually still lives in Thompson, Manitoba, and nobody else has dropped dropped them for him. Everyone still thinks that he did it, and he actually, it's hard for him to get work because of it. Because oh, okay. it's such a small saying. town that... So people are still, like, assuming that he was the one that did commit the crime? Correct. Okay. Yep. And then, kind of as for the tape, so Marnie actually one day when she was at work happened to put the tape down. Like the tape of the guy confessing? Correct. And that tape actually has never been seen since. What? In the worst what do you mean? So the tape... So around this time, the RCMP was actually known for using tapes to re-record on because tapes were a little harder to come by. So they were reusing tapes. No. So, so they, it's not for sure known if that happened, that it actually was used to record over top of. But someone stole there it. was no copies of that tape. Of course naturally exactly when i saw that when i was doing the research i'm like of course this is happening like <laughs> yeah. why wouldn't have? yeah oh, that's so frustrating yeah because that's all they had yeah and they would usually only keep the tapes for a couple months before they would kind of re-record them right. but i'm not gonna lie and marnie probably did this i wouldn't have let that tape out of my sight yeah i guess it just takes one second right and like being a police officer you would think like putting it down it would be safe yeah but i think. guess you shouldn't assume it, that's it and then as for the case nowadays this case is actually still being worked on it's actually being worked on right now by constable jana amaralt who is a part of the rcmp's historical case in winnipeg so it's unresolved it's still unresolved oh, okay so constable amaralt has actually looked into the tape uh, but there is actually no more information of it at this time. And Carrie Ann Brown's killer has still not been found. That's so unfortunate. Yeah. So on that podcast, did her family say anything about like it's like not being resolved or anything? They haven't really said they didn't really say much on it. Uh, a lot of the podcast was kind of based more around the events and kind of what how how she was leading up to it and more about her more about okay. her it wasn't so much about the case right okay yep and it's it's definitely a sad case because it's a case that obviously everybody wants to kind of be solved but right hopefully some more information will come out about it soon and uh it'll be able to get solved and put to rest we're going to remember Carrie Ann in her case in hopes that everything gets resolved and her family gets the justice and the closure that they may need but with that being said this is the end of our episode please be sure to follow our instagram at murder in the north podcast 
We also have a case suggestion linked on our Instagram if you would like for us to present a certain case. We also would just like to say a big thank you to everyone for listening and providing feedback. We will see you on Tuesday. Stay safe.